Hello! Welcome to the Great Obsession Podcast. One of your hosts, Riley. And I'm Sam. And today we are following up on our previous episode on Holly Black's Cruel Prince of the Folk and Air series with our review, uh, I guess if you call it a review, our discussion um, on the second book in the series, The Wicked King. And since we are discussing the book, we're discussing it in its entirety. So there will be spoilers for all of Wicked King and potentially all of Cruel Prince as well. Um, So if you have not read either of those to completion, you should probably come back later after you have finished them. Yes. Although if you have not read the full series and you're reading along with us, then this is perfect because neither of us have read The Queen of Nothing, the third book in this series. So there will be no series spoilers. Uh, And if you will be frustrated by listening to us talk about The Wicked King without the perspective of the third book, because I know the third book is like really important in this series, Mm -hmm. um, go listen to a different podcast because (laughs) (laughs) we have not read uh, The Queen of Nothing. And I'm feeling good. I'm ready to, like, go off about this book. I am mm-hmm. drinking a mocha at 8.44 p.m. <laughs> um, <laughs> I went to Starbucks and got me a little oh, peppermint mocha because I You left some. the house for that? Well, I had to pick up Jacob from uh, campus because he stayed on campus really late studying tonight. So I stopped by Starbucks and got myself a little... Okay. A little drinky drink. That makes more sense. I thought you just got your ass out of the house just to go to Starbucks for a mocha <laughs> for this this recording. I was like, nothing but respect. I mean, um, I would have done it. Like, I'll take any excuse to drink a peppermint mocha. They're so good. That's what I have for breakfast this morning. Oh, I know. Living a life. Because you're I... a queen and you can make them yourself. Yeah, yeah. I got that espresso machine life. Um, I am drinking a green tea at 6.45 p.m. So I'm much, out here. Uh, much more health conscious than me. Yeah, tonight. getting them getting them <laughs> antioxidants in. It'll live forever. <laughs> JK. What, what green tea? Like what brand? Where'd you buy it? LOL. What do you think? Trader Joe's, baby. Oh. Keeping it classic. Yeah. I was thinking maybe you'd have some special one from Scotland or something like. No, I do have tea from Scotland, um, but when it comes to green tea, I like it basic and I like it mm, cheap. Okay. I buy it in like those big boxes. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like a million so, tea bags. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty indiscriminate when it comes to my green tea. I just like it strong. I am happy for you that you like that because I simply just don't like tea that much. I will say, if you um, come up and visit me, I did get this tea. The tea I got from Scotland um, is called Fairy Glen Tea from the West Highland Tea Company. Shout out to them. Great small business. Um, And it has uh, sweet pea flower and blueberries and rose hips and it turns this gorgeous shade of purple pink and it is so sweet and delicious and extremely fragrant which is almost the best part wow yeah i 
I'm obsessed with that. I need to fly out there ASAP. Yeah. Try that. yeah. 10 of 10 would recommend. Well, should we just um, dive yes. right in? Speaking <laughs> of Fairy Glen, let's yeah. talk about uh, Fairyland. What do they call it? Fairyland. I was like, yes. I'm, here's what's so, this is not even about the Wicked King. I just don't understand how they are. They are the Fae who live in Fairyland <laughs> in the kingdom of Elfheim. What is it? Those are yeah. three different mythological creatures species it's whatever that's true that's true well but yeah it's also like the the different species that exist in this world like is also really unclear because there's like pixies and nixies and water somethings and nymphs and sprites like i don't we 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 touched on that (laughs) uh, on the last episode we had a good old rant about it so if you're curious you can go back and listen but we probably don't need to we don't need to go into it again i'm sorry i brought it up no, we do not. But man, I could get back into it because that is something that drives me crazy. Well, how, what did you think of this book? How did you like it? Did you like it as much as the first one? Less? So, so I definitely liked this one more than the first one. Um, it did have some of the same or similar problems for me as the first book. In the sense that the first half is pretty slow. Yes. Um, that being said, in The Cruel Prince, the first half is filled with a lot of world building and mm-hmm. like character setup, some of which I felt was fairly unnecessary. Mm-hmm. In this book, all of that is already kind of established. So what we get in that first half, while it is boring, I think it's more valuable than what we get in the first half of Cruel Prince. So I wasn't. I was frustrated because it was like kind of slow, but I mm-hmm. enjoyed it more um, than I did the Cruel Prince that first half. The second half of Wicked King just just goes at it. Um, it sure does. It's a lot of fun. It's very creative, so twisty. Um, I really, once again, enjoyed the plot quite a bit. My one complaint that I have continuing I had this complaint in the first book and I still have it here is that we touch on things and we never get to reconcile any of the emotional depth Mm -hmm. um so we can go further into this when we talk about it but like the whole like Jude gets like kidnapped and held as Mm -hmm. a prisoner and starved and abused and like a lot of things happen there but it's only for she's like only underworld for like or underwater for like two or three chapters. It's a very short period of time in the book. It has big ramifications, but it there's like no emotional connection to any of it, which is bizarre to me because it feels like when you're reading, that's a big shift in the plot and like a big change. And it's the first time well, not the first time, but like Jude's life, I feel like she is really facing death, like in a very serious way and kind of like dwelling in that space much longer than she has with other incidents. Mm -hmm. And there's just like, then she's out. And I don't know, I just wanted more. I wanted more of the underwater world, more of the underwater, uh, like politics, more Jude dealing with her emotional trauma. 
there's like there's just like a lot of stuff where I I really enjoyed that world and I wanted more of it and I didn't get it yeah that is interesting because I feel I feel maybe a little bit differently just because I felt like this book I felt like I understood Jude quite a bit more because I feel like in the last episode Mm -hmm. I was complaining about how like she just didn't react to things like when she tried to rescue Sophie and she committed suicide Jude was just kind of like okay and like it's never really mentioned again um and then in this book I felt like I started to understand why she like doesn't react to things and I also felt like we do see her get vulnerable a couple of times Mm -hmm. uh which was interesting so I don't know I I agree with you that it's the first half of this book was once again very slow and it took me it took me like 2 weeks to read this and I read literally half of it yesterday. <laughs> so. <laughs> it's like such a 0 to 60 book. Um, it really is. I was like so like oh I'm tired of like all this politics and like we're clearly planning stuff, visiting Balkan, getting Cardin's mom in on stuff but like I'm getting no romance, I'm getting Nothing interesting. And then it just, like, happens all at once. And I couldn't stop. Yeah. So, I, and then I felt like once we started really getting into that second half, I was, like, <laughs> in order to, like, save quotes that I wanted to remember, I would just whip out my phone and take a picture of the page. And I was, like, snapping pictures left and right of the page. Whereas in the first half, I think I only took one picture. <laughs> I have one quote from the first half of the book. And the rest of it, I'm, like, uh was in the later half when shit's actually happening. So uh, before we like get into the later half and I feel like get into really like kind of the nitty gritty of characters and stuff, Mm -hmm. what actually happens (laughs) in the first half of this book? That's Uh, such a good question. Um, And in my mind, I simultaneously know that it's just like, like a shit ton of stuff happens and nothing happens at the same time, which is maybe just the sensation that comes with politics. I don't don't know. (laughs) Yeah, true. Cause it is a lot of politics in the first half. Yeah. I think we, we come in and I will say it, this takes place six months after the ending of cruel prince. And, you know, when we talked about that, um book and the ending both of us were kind of like yeah we're really looking forward to seeing the Cardin Jude dynamic with Jude having this power over him mm-hmm. and Cardin being in this position he doesn't want to be in being tricked into all of this yada yada and this book taking place six months after I thought when we started there was gonna be a lot more like sexual tension between the two Mm -hmm. um and what we get is that they are low-key maybe like actively avoiding one another um they don't have a ton of like meaningful solo like one-on-one time in the first half which i was really surprised by i expected the first half to be very heavy on Jude and Cardin content, even if it wasn't romantic, I expected them to be scheming together, I guess, by this point, mm-hmm. uh, which, spoiler, they are not. They no. are scheming separately. <laughs> um, 
And so I thought that that was kind of interesting to see, like, Cardin's sort of spinning out of Jude's control to some extent. I, I did enjoy that aspect. And that's kind of what the first half of the book is really about, is this very potent power struggle between Jude and Cardin. And they have different goals in mind or maybe not even different goals but they're just actively not communicating with one another and Mm -hmm. actively excluding the other from their thinking um which then I think leads to a lot of like wasted time because I feel like Jude is just trying to hide or undo things that Cardin does which feels like running in place yeah yeah and I feel like there are some things that happen in the first half of this book like the whole queen of mirth part where yeah it could have been avoided if they had just communicated because Cardin tells her to leave that revel that it's happening I at know! And, but, and she just doesn't so annoying because so she's i will say won't listen there's like so many moments where i i see and it's interesting because you're like oh i understand jude so much better this book and I would agree I I understand her better but I feel like I understand Cardin a lot more like he's the character that for me I felt like I really understood and really I've just I really enjoyed him in this book and like because it's like the more you understand about him the more you realize that he's like a low-key soft boy Mm-hmm. and is just actively trying to suppress that at all times, which I find incredibly endearing, and Jude seems to be completely blind to, um, and just doesn't trust anything that he says, mm-hmm. for, for a good reason. But I, I think there's some frustration as a reader where I am seeing through Jude's eyes and seeing Cardin low-key be this, like, secret soft boy and not malicious not always doing the right thing but not actively like he's not a lock character who is out Mm -hmm. to just create chaos and hurt other people and Mm -hmm. so it's like if I as a reader seeing that through Jude's eyes can draw those conclusions why is it that Jude the character seeing through her own eyes can't get there Um, and I think that's a little bit frustrating in the beginning for me Yes, it is frustrating, but you know why I think that is? Is because Jude does not really have a soft side. I feel like her soft side, maybe it will start to come out in the next book mm-hmm. because we started to see it at the very, very end when, um, <laughs> right when, when her, shit. like when, no, okay, so when her and Cardin, uh, get married at the end, um, and then they like, lay in bed together and she's like it's the best sleep I've ever had like we're just entwined together like so and I was like oh my god like soft cute and then everything goes to shit but like that's literally the first time that we see Jude be Mm -hmm. soft like in her inner monologue she does talk about like times that she's afraid but she doesn't really ever talk about like feeling like she just shoves any like romantic or like soft feelings essentially Mm -hmm. she shoves them all down we never see them she's just so focused on power and 
uh, and on her goals. Well, I was gonna say, and it's not even that she's focused on power as much as she's focused on safety. Yeah, like like surviving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and there's a there. She has like a little monologue about this, doesn't she? In this book, honestly, okay. Full disclosure for any for you and for any other listeners. I've read a lot of fan fiction for this series <laughs> and there are moments where I can't remember if something I read was happened in the book or happened in a fanfic. So if you're ever like, I don't remember that happening, it probably didn't. That's on me. Um, hmm, interesting. Okay. But I I'll thought you know. that she had like a mon like a little monologue, internal monologue where she talks about fear and how she like decide like she, like if she like gives into the fear she doesn't think she'll ever be able to like come out okay yeah so we talked about that i read those was that the last fear one? on the last episode because that's like something jude's relationship with fear is like one of the most interesting parts of the story for me and i feel like yes she acknowledges that in the first book she like kind of admits to us as the reader that she just cannot let the fear oh and she admits it to Cardin too that she just can't let the fear bubble up or like she'll it'll completely engulf her and so I feel like she continues to push that down but uh at the same time I feel like she's getting better at I don't know she's just really good at managing that fear like the scene mm-hmm. where she gets attacked in the forest by Locke Yo. and some of the riders what she's a badass stone cold I loved, I will say, that's one thing is I love reading Jude in like an action sequence. And I wish we got more of it. um, Because I think that is when I feel like I see her as like a character. I feel like that's the that that's the point. Those are the scenes where I feel like I understand her the most. Um, versus scenes where she's just like having conversations and stuff like that Um, yes I agree because I feel like uh, in those scenes you get to hear her thoughts but then you hear what also what she says out loud and like mm -hmm. what she does and they're very often in contrast because what she's thinking is I'm so scared but then what she says is like nice try or something like that Yeah, yeah yeah like she's really clever and quick at covering up that fear which is just so interesting to me. And you know what else is really interesting um, about Jude and like what I was saying before about her not really like allowing herself to feel soft feelings is she, there is one person who she feels a little bit of soft feelings for besides Cardin, which is Maddox. And the way that she feels about him is so interesting. There is this quote in the beginning, this was the only quote that I like saved from the beginning of the book. Um, where she's like visiting the living council for the first time and uh, she reveals that Maddox is still the grand general and she says i could say that i want to keep him busy that he's a weapon better deployed by us than against us that it's easier for my spies to watch him when i know where he is but a part of me knows he's still grand general because i couldn't bring myself to strip so much authority from my dad like she still has this like kind of soft like he's my dad mm-hmm. feeling yeah and we don't hear much of it but we see it in the way that she like treats him and, and and he clearly feels something similar for her as his daughter 
So they kind of are like this whole mm-hmm. book, they're like kind of having this power struggle, like skirting around each other and trying to play this politics game on the same team, which obviously doesn't work out in the end. He betrays her, but I don't know. I just thought, I think their relationship is so interesting because Maddox is the only parental figure that she, that's like active in her life. Yeah. And what I also think is interesting is that not only do they have a very, I think, genuine, like, parent-child struggle, but within the broader, like, family unit, so Taryn, Vivi, I can't remember, what's her name, Oriana? Mm-hmm. Oriana? And Maddox, when you like look at them as a family unit, it's Jude and Maddox that stand out as like, like really being family. The others, it's always like fringe. They seem connected, but like not emotionally. There's not a ton happening with any of those other dynamics to the level that we see Jude and Maddox, like just really having emotional tension between the two of them which I think Mm -hmm. is really interesting um for a variety of reasons and I think it's a really unexpected dynamic that I didn't or wouldn't have predicted and I really enjoy it for that reason because it is an unpredictable relationship where I think Mm -hmm. if I had made a prediction about their relationship it would be much more there would be like there would be like hate between them. I don't mm-hmm. feel like there's hate at any point between them. They're always trying to outsmart one another. They're definitely enemies, but I don't think they're ever actively being like I have real deep hate for this person. And that's mm-hmm. what I was expecting when we finished Cool Prince, their dynamic to go to. Mhm. Yeah, I agree. I feel like if anything, the the person she's going to develop hate for is Taryn because yeah. her and Taryn have never had like a soft, loving relationship. It's always just been her trying to protect Taryn, and like mm-hmm. after all that, Taryn still just like doesn't give a fuck and betrays her. So I'm interested to see like what happens between her and Taryn in the next book because obviously Taryn sucks. Uh, and no. I just wonder if Jude will still like try to protect her. Or mm. if she'll just be like, fuck you, go to the Tower of Forgetting or, or something. I don't know. I know when she's married to Locke now. Yeah. Which I don't really know how that... Because, like, Locke is distinctly her enemy, right? Yes. And so I think it's hard to figure out, like... Can Locke be her enemy and Taryn not? Especially when you think about all of the ways that Taryn ultimately betrays her and really discounts all of Jude's like efforts to protect her. Or, you know, I, I understand like maybe having some resentment towards Jude, especially because Jude, I think, does treat her a bit juvenilely and like. Mm-hmm. is like kind of demeaning to some extent but also it's like okay I, I feel like even within that Taryn should be able to tell that Jude is trying as like a sister 
and does and still does not care you know like taryn just does not does not give two fucks about how jude feels about her Mm -hmm. life Mm -hmm. um and so there's like i guess what i'm trying to articulate is i don't know that there's like any redemption there for taryn and jude's relationship like i just don't see why no like there's just there's just wasn't that much between them to begin with besides Jude, I feel like, was seeking a purpose in order to push down her fear and distract herself. And her purpose for most of their childhood was to protect Taryn. So now she has a greater purpose, and I don't really know that she has to worry about Taryn. And then, obviously, there's Locke, which Locke is, like, such a kind of an unpredictable character for me because Mm -hmm. he's clearly Jude's enemy. But I still don't really know what his motivations are other than... Like, he's the embodiment of that meme that's, like, I want to cause problems on purpose. That's mm-hmm. just, like, I feel like he just wants to <laughs> to cause problems for no reason. And Jude is, like, an easy target for him, maybe? I don't know. Like, I don't... That whole relationship is so weird to me. And the yeah. Queen of Mirth thing was so weird. Like, I was like, what is the point of this? The Queen of Mirth scene... Did There was, like... So here's... And maybe, and this is like kind of a continuation of issues with the first is I just don't understand like the fairy dynamics. Like I don't understand how she can be in that position of power and nobody bats an eye at her like being treated that way. Like I know she's a human. Mm -hmm. Is it just because they don't, like, how much power does she even have if they can do shit like that without a second thought? That's the part I don't, I have a little bit of a disconnect with. Yeah. It just seems like nobody has any regard for her because she's human. Like, she's the hiking seneschal, but she's, like, nobody realizes that she's, like, essentially controlling the king. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of people just think that she's there because uh, Cardin like wants to fuck around with her. I don't think people oh, they are just, realizing. And they just don't take her seriously. Yeah, I guess that's true. Because especially in the Living Council, when she goes in and she's like, Queen Orla or whatever is going to attack us, they don't. They don't listen. No, no. I guess I just. Yeah, I think I think the Queen of Mirth scene as a whole just really surprised me on a few levels it surprised me that they that she could be in that position of power and still demeaned in that way and nobody would care and then Mm -hmm. also that there was no like Cardin didn't step in because I felt like in her position he has the excuse to step in you know Mm -hmm. where it's like no i'm just enforcing my rule um yeah i'm not sure why he didn't step in and i don't know if it's just like because i know because Locke asks him some question about like what he like either what he thinks she like does he think she's beautiful or does does he think something something about her he's like trying to trap Cardin into saying um let me look it up he's trying to trap Cardin into saying he likes Jude and he like oh sneaks uh-huh. his way out of it 
Yeah. He asks, it says, um, tell us what you think of our lady, Locke asks Cardin loudly with a strange smile. The High King's expression stiffens, only to smooth out a moment later when he turns toward the court. I have often, oh, I have too often been troubled by dreams of Jude, voice caring. Her, fa her face features prominently in my most frequent nightmare. And then he says, some among us do not find mortals beautiful. In fact, some of you might swear that Jude is unlovely, but I believe it is only that her beauty is dot, 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 unique, excruciating, alarming, distressing. And so he like, oh, sort of, he's like talking around it. Yeah, yeah. But I just don't know why he doesn't stop it to begin with. Yeah. I'm not sure either. Maybe he doesn't want to show weakness for, like, protecting a mortal. Mm-hmm. But that's all I can think. Because then Jude confronts him. I think he they're dancing, I'm pretty sure. And she says, whatever you do to me, I can do worse to you. And he says, oh, do not think that I forget that for a moment. She goes, then why? You believe I planned your hu humiliation? He laughs. Me? That sounds like work. I don't care if you did or not. I tell him, too angry to make sense of my feelings. I just care that you enjoyed it. And why shouldn't I delight to see you squirm? You tricked me, Cardin says. You played me for a fool, and now I am the king of fools. The high king of fools, I say, a sneer in my voice. So I think maybe he enjoyed it a little bit in the sense that he, he is frustrated with Jude because they're having this mm -hmm. power struggle and they're not communicating. And so he does have feelings for her and he wanted to protect her from becoming Queen of Mirth, which is why he told her to leave. But then she was stubborn and she didn't leave. And That's so he's kind of like, you're getting got what you're coming for. Made your bed, got to lie in it. That's, That's actually, I think. I think I would agree. Um, now that we've kind of like unpacked that dialogue, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad we revisited that because the Queen of Mirth scene, like, <laughs> it, like, disappeared into the back of my head once I got later on into the book. Yeah. So other stuff happens. Yeah, and it's it's a really unexpected scene. Um, mm -hmm. Especially, I mean, as you read, it's obviously super unexpected to Jude. She doesn't see it coming. And so, mm -hmm. in the same way as a reader seeing through Jude's eyes, it just is, like, super unexpected and then I think Jude also sort of tries to she tries to move past it so aggressively that I feel like that's we as the reader also end up moving past it pretty quickly because she, she like, oh, can't yeah. dwell on it yeah. um, and so I do think that that is that's a component yeah I think you're right but I will say we, um, is it, I don't know if this is the time to, to start talking about it or not, but as we discussed, um, almost exactly halfway through the book, <laughs> we, the sex scene? things, things really pick up. They don't have sex. <laughs> That's very clear. That's true. They like do everything but it. They but. do. Yeah. Or we at least infer that they do plenty. Um, but I that, wish this was new adult. I wish that, it was not some fade to black. Yes. And that's why I'm saying okay. there's a lot happening in the fan fiction world. 
Um, but that scene, it's like that first half, I was frustrated because I was like, there's not even sexual tension here. They just don't like each other still. Mm-hmm. And then we got to that scene and it's like an explosion of sexual tension. I was, yeah. took me on a ride. That's when I was like, oh, this book is turning a corner for me. <laughs> um, yeah. and, it, and it is interesting because similar to Cruel Prince, it's like Holly Black really gives us nothing in the romance department until she gives us a lot in very handful of pages and it's like okay and it's enough to keep you going you know yeah yeah for real because once that happened I was like oh I'm invested now Mm because I I mean knowing that in the first book we only got one like real like kissing scene I was kind of like okay I don't have my hopes up for another scene like this but now that this has happened I'm really excited to see what kind of tension they have throughout the rest of the book and they did they did Mm -hmm. be having tension yeah it it was like from that point on there like the tension just held steady throughout the book and so I feel like and I don't Queen of Nothing, which we can talk about this at the end, but I, I don't know if that tension is going to hold or if we're going to follow the same pattern where the first half there's nothing oh. and then the second half there's a bunch. I have a I feeling that's how it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, just knowing the, the formula of these books. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I was living for that scene, especially because in the first book, Jude is kind of like the one in the position of power during their makeout scene like she's got mm-hmm. a knife to his throat but then in, this time it was him that was like like Jude was asking him to seduce an occasion he's like oh you want me to do this you want me to do this you want, and she just like can't she like can't tell him to stop and so it just happens it's so good I love it. I know. I, I'm literally reading this scene right now. Chapter 15 yeah, for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about. Damn. It's just, it's such a good song. I love it when she it says, um, he, he like asks her so the, this whole scene is she like kind of shows her hand a little bit and comes off a little bit jealous. Um, and so he's like teasing her. And he's like, should I touch her like this? He asks, lashes lower, the shadows line his face, casting his cheekbones into stark relief. And then she says, I don't know, I say, but my voice betrays me. It's all wrong, high and breathless, which I think- I can just hear it. When I think of part of why this, see- this scene is such a reward is because, like you said, like Jude is in control all the time like she Mm -hmm. is being murdered well not being murdered but like somebody's attempting to murder her unfazed like Mm -hmm. someone is trying to like drown her or capture her all like all these things happen and she is just like in survival mode totally in control especially like when her mind is in chaos it seems to be when her physical presence is like the most honed in in control and then for like this season this scene to be such a clear like dissolve of all of her suaveness and like her coldness and she just is like nah totally out of it um 
He's got her. Yeah, she totally loses control. She to- totally loses control. Let's go. And doesn't even realize that she's lost. Like, she's losing it until it's just, like, gone. Mm-hmm. It's, not a, it's not a slow. It's not a battle. It's just, like, she has it, and then she actively doesn't. And there's so many moments where she's just, like, I can, I can barely think. I can barely think. I can barely think. It, like, repeats over and over again. Mm-hmm. And, um... I'm obsessed with that because I feel like she's thinking all the time. And this is the first time that she's not thinking. It's true. She just really like, let's go and let's, she talks about everything slows. She feels like the world is just like slowing down for once. And she's just like, can't think, can't say much. uh, Except for when she says, oh, I love this part. I hate you. I breathe into his mouth. I hate you so much that sometimes I can't think of anything else. Oh, I love it. It's so good. Well, and the section ends um, and she's like, it's more intimate. He He's watching. He like looks at her um, while she's making quote unquote embarrassing noises. <laughs> and she says, it's more intimate than the way he's touching me to be looked at like that. I hate that he knows what he's doing and I don't. I hate being vulnerable. I hate that I throw my head back, burying my throat. I hate the way I cling to him. And I just love this, like the hate thing is carried throughout. And by the end, she goes, um, my thoughts splintering and the single last thing in my head that I like him better than I've ever liked anyone. And that of all the things he's ever done to me, making me like him so much is by far the worst. So she's like, I hate, yes. I hate, I hate. And the last section is I like him more than I've ever liked anyone. And I just yes. swoon. Yes. Especially because she never admits that she likes anything. So this is like oh, yeah. such a feat for him that he's like <sighs> gotten him, her to like him. And to admit it, even though she won't admit it to him at this point. I know. And I just, and he's just like low-key obsessed with her. And I love that. And she makes it so difficult. Um, (laughs) She really does. She really really does. does herself dirty. Because like this, if they had just communicated like, hey, I'm into you. Then this could have been (laughs) resolved way quicker. But I I know, but that. All this tension. Well, and that level of vulnerability would have just been, like, outrageous. That's true. That's true. Because she simply won't. No. No. And I, and and it's interesting because I feel like he is so much more, he's, like, he, like, gets halfway and then he's just waiting for her to meet him the rest of the way and then to, like, admit that they both like each other, I feel like. Like, I feel like he knows that he likes her and mm-hmm. has semi come to terms with it like subconsciously i feel like and is just looking for any like positive or <laughs> opening anything from jude to be like hi you know yeah and yeah she, like he's not she's giving it. nothing she's but giving she... zero go girl give us nothing yeah yeah it's like it's hard because as the reader, she admits to us, obviously, that she likes him. And then mm-hmm. she talks, like, two pages later after that scene, there's this quote where she says, um, 
Every time I think of any of it, I shove the memory away as fiercely as possible. I shove it along with the enormous vulnerability I feel, the sensation of being exposed down to my raw nerves. I don't know how I will face Cardin again without behaving like a fool. So she's like admitting that this, like being that into somebody and being physically intimate with them feels like being exposed down to her raw nerves because she has never let herself feel like that before and like shown anyone else and like she's not saying anything to Cardin but by being intimate with him like that she is Mm -hmm. communicating that to him at least communicating with her body yes (laughs) she really is and then there's this other line I'm obsessed with that uh oh my gosh hold on let me find it where she says something like um oh yeah I wonder if I will ever be able to look at him again without remembering what it was like to touch him. Hot. I love it. So hot. So hot. It reminds me a lot. It's like full circle with that line in The Cruel Prince where she says something, like after she kisses him and then she says something like, I can't focus because it turns out once you kiss somebody, like the possibility of kissing them again always lingers. So it's like now they've gone even further and Mm -hmm. now they're like, that's all she can think about half the time which I'm just obsessed with. I'm obsessed with the way it like undoes her. I say we just see her be so strong. And, and the thing is, is like you said, like this is a, this is a solidly YA book. This is not a new adult. It's like, or new young adult, whatever, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. It's like solidly YA. And so this scene is not explicit, but it's so hot because of the way she is like responding and coming undone like that's Mm -hmm. why it's such a good scene like we don't need well we don't we're okay without having like the really in-depth details because she's giving so much in her thoughts um Mm -hmm. which i think is really interesting but now that we're on the subject of jude and Carden. We got to talk about um, Jude being kidnapped to the underworld, or it's not the underworld, it's the underwater, yeah, the undersea, and then Cardin literally being like, yeah, you can attack this court, and we won't do anything about (laughs) it, just give Jude back, which is absolutely bonkers to me, because first of all, I think that tells us, like, maybe jude has a point like Cardin is not a great politician um yeah <laughs> not not a like cool and collected leader um by not a utilitarian. any means no no not a utilitarian um but i'm just obsessed with that that he's just like give her back i'll do anything and jude comes up and she's like what the fuck why did you do that yeah (laughs) that was so stupid (laughs) which i just find so endearing like i just think that really we don't get to see it in this book maybe but we get to see glimpses of what a potential partnership between them would be like of Mm -hmm. him being i think a bit more emotional and loosening jude up more and making her more for lack of a better term human which is kind of funny and her on the flip side being 
like a stone cold leader just it's all about what she she's the definition of utilitarianism i think she's like willing to sacrifice she's willing to cut off Mm -hmm. a limb if it is what's best for everybody she really has that kind of killer mentality Mm -hmm. um and she's so logical and thinks everything out and Cardin, i feel like doesn't think about anything and I love yeah. that that pairing of them together. And then I hope I'm just dying that in Queen of Nothing, we actually get them on the same team at some yeah. point. Um, yeah. Because what was so frustrating about the end of this book is we get them on the same team for like 0.2 seconds. Yeah. And then it's a no-go. Cardin has her exiled. And I was like, what the fuck? I know. I know. I'm just holding out hope that, like, like even Jude says it at the end. She's like, I just have to trust that Cardin has a plan. And then she gets exiled. And she's like, what the fuck? But I still think he has a plan. Like, yeah. I just, I can't no, believe that he just is like, bye. Like, I bet he's trying to protect her. Yeah. Sending her away. Yeah, I don't think it makes any sense. If that is not the case, like, I think there's a lot that's been established up until this point that if he doesn't have some kind of ulterior motive, um, it just, like, doesn't check out. Like, him just blatantly being like, I'm betraying you, but, like, why? Yeah. You know? It just, it doesn't doesn't really make sense to me. No, it doesn't make sense. No, I think it'll, I can see why Jude feels so betrayed and she just like at the end of the book in the epilogue she's like in Vivi's apartment just like mm-hmm. hating her life because she feels really betrayed because she like exposed herself to Cardin and I let know. off a lot of let up a lot of the control she's been like fighting so hard to maintain <gasps> and then like she feels like her back she's gets getting stabbed in the back but I I think that uh Cardin had a plan and that it will all be fine hopefully Hopefully. Um, <laughs> That's what I think. But I want to talk more about what actually happened in the undersea. Because mm-hmm. I feel like you said this in the beginning, but we didn't really get into it. That you wanted to see more of the the world under the water. Yeah. And I agree. I think. We got nothing. We got nothing. And it's interesting how Holly Black dealt with, like, they live underwater and she's obviously a human. And, and so the answer to that was like drown her and then put her in like a breathable, whatever. I don't know. I just was anticipating Jude, like being able to scheme in that court, even as Mm -hmm. a prisoner. Um, But Mm -hmm. she was just like literally just a prisoner. And Mm -hmm was in an extremely vulnerable situation where even if she like used all of her skills and escaped like she's still like fucking underwater and she can't do Mm -hmm. anything about that um Mm -hmm. and so that to me I was like oh that's not exactly what I wanted I think I think what I really wanted if we're being up front is um you've seen the new black panther haven't you yes yes see that so um for those of you that's what i thought of too uh black panther wakanda forever um that the whole storyline of um shuri gets kidnapped by the underwater people 
and they mm-hmm. take her to their underwater lair or whatever. But she, they have whatever questionable technology that I don't think they fully explained why they're so technologically advanced, but not the point. Um, <laughs> but she's like able to experience that underwater kingdom and obviously has some kind of like relationship. Oh, this is a spoiler for the movie. <laughs> seen it um hopefully everyone has at this point but um she's like able to form some connection with the people who live in this very foreign place and it's very visually engaging it's so imaginative and creative and Mm -hmm. fascinating even there they have their own sort of like politics happening and that's really interesting and we just that's what I wanted when we get introduced to this whole new world in this book Mm -hmm. and we don't get to see any of it. um, Yeah. I think was really frustrating. And like, there wasn't a single character in the underwater that we got to see in depth of also like there was no, I, I think we left that place. And by the time we reached the end of the book, I was like, why did we even go there? Mm -hmm. You know, like you could have taken out that entire underwater storyline. And I think we still could have ended up in the same ending point. Yeah, it's true. Like, why did Jude have to be there for so damn long? Like, she was there for over a month, just like being Mm -hmm. tortured and... Like, drinking salt water? Yeah, like, starving and losing all of her. I mean, it was, in a way, kind of a device to make her lose her immunity to poison and lose, like, her, uh, yeah, like, her bodily strength. Like, she becomes a lot more weak after it. I also did appreciate, like, seeing her again in a situation where she's terrified but she does not show it one bit like she did she Mm -hmm. would be a killer actress because she (sighs) is such a good liar like uh pretending that she's glamored when she's not like they Mm -hmm. never even saw through it one bit so it's really interesting to me now that you bring that up um i when she gets what is it a a gayest a, a, a gesh a gesh when she yes. gets the gesh from dane that she can't be glamored i did not see that being a like i saw no negatives to her getting that right i was like sick mm-hmm. now we're we're going on to our final form gonna beat shit right mm-hmm. and it continually like her pursuit to keep it hidden which i which i think is an interesting choice Mm -hmm. leads her to having to do all these awful things that she's trying to avoid like being forced into but in her pursuit of keeping it hidden she ends up being forced into it anyways and obviously like it's a it's a control thing like she's the one controlling it and making that choice yada yada but I just I think it's really interesting because I did not foresee that um storyline in having such a long-term impact on her in a negative way Mm -hmm. it's interesting though because it's both positive and negative because she had to endure all of that but it she won in the end because she was able to to hold on to that 
Like, well, loose. and I was going to say, well, and the most, and the big thing is, is she like maintains it because it allows her to be in spaces where um, she can like collect people's secrets and their like plans. Mm-hmm. And they think that she has no idea. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's, it is a powerful tool. I just didn't anticipate it ever becoming that complex like when she got it I just thought it's like okay she can't be glamored now that's fun I assumed everyone was gonna know I didn't think it was gonna be that big of a deal um but I think it's I think it's a lot of credit to Holly Black that she did take it and make it a very interesting choice that Jude makes you know to Mm -hmm. keep it disclose or to not disclose it and to like go along with all these awful things just so that she can like be the ultimate spy and like also speaks to Jude's ability to lie like you said which is just real unparalleled even by just like human standards um and I think that's I I don't know I just was really surprised how many times that came up throughout this Mm -hmm. book yeah yeah, and how good Jude was. Because I didn't even realize that she hadn't disclosed that to the Court of Shadows. Like, at the very end, when she had to, like, Same. convince them that she couldn't be glamoured, I didn't realize they didn't even know. I just thought that was crazy. So, like, yeah, good for her for, like, uh, I guess this desperate contr- need to maintain control and, and have a one-up on everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, it worked. Because she, I mean, logically, there was no reason why she needed to keep that hidden until we got to that point. And it was like, oh, well, good thing no one knows. Well, and you know what you just made me think of is like the fact that she does keep it hidden from everyone, including her spies, up until the point that she gets back. And she's like, they're trying to send me to murder Cardin, but I'm good. And she like goes to Cardin, sneaks into the castle, blah, blah, blah like does all of this stuff so that she can warn him and like get to him and to prove that she is who that she's like on his side and like trying to protect him. That's the moment that she's willing to open up completely and be like, yo, they can't get me. I am revealing this big secret that I have that I've been using to my advantage to manipulate all of you for the sake of protecting Cardin. Um, and like being genuine that that's somebody that you can trust with Cardin's life, I think just says a yeah. lot that I didn't yeah. I didn't pick up on. That's true. That's true because it's a really big deal for her to have to show her hand like that. Uh huh. And she did it willingly. And then she I also betrayed. I know. I was just looking for the the scene where um, Belkin like tries to. Reveal oh, yeah, that she's holding the that. poison. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. where is it? Um, we should talk about so Balkin in general, and because that's the whole scene when Cardin is poisoned, but they think he's drunk. Poor, poor guy. He's just like out here doing his best, um, and then they make him look like a like he's not capable. Yeah, uh, it's chapter just... twenty eight. Okay, yeah. You, he says to me, turn out your pockets. You are the only one here not bound by a vow. And then she realizes, like, ah, had I been truly glamoured, I would have had to pull out the stoppered vial. And once the court saw it, and saw found Wraithberry inside, any protest would come to nothing. <laughs> and then she just goes, 
he's drunk. <laughs> I say, and I'm gratified by Belkin's shocked expressions. However, you are unbound as well, Ambassador, or shall I say not bound to the land? Like she, it reminded me of um, the scene when Valerian tries to glamour her into like jumping off the tower and she's like, mm-hmm. I think I'll take the stairs. Like, I'm just so obsessed with when people think she's glamoured and then she reveals that she's not. It's so satisfying. She's like, sick. Um, <laughs> but coming off of that scene is when we actually get a Jude Mar- or Mary, um, killing murdering Balkin against yes. Cardin's wishes and we get Taryn betraying Jude and posing as her to convince Cardin to release Maddox which first of all I think there's an interesting thing happening there that Cardin is with Jude's sibling at the same time that Jude is with Cardin's sibling and they're both doing them dirty, you know? Yeah. I, I think that's that like an interesting, that's interesting light parallel. Um, yeah. I have some thoughts about the scene where she kills Balkin. Going mm-hmm. back to what I said about this book, like being helping me understand Jude better. Uh, I really liked this part where after she kills him, like she... She drives the knife into his neck, and then she goes, it all happens so fast. It happens too fast. I want to have some reaction. I want to tremble or feel nauseated. I want to be the person who begins to weep. I want to be anyone but the person I am, who looks around to be sure no one saw, who wipes off my knife in the dirt, wipes off my hand on his clothes, and gets out of there before the guards come. I feel like that made me realize that she just is so hardened by fairy. And has pushed all of her human feelings so far down that that's why all of the death that she's been surrounded by, like in the first book when Sophie commits suicide, mm-hmm. uh, when she has to kill that that spy in the first book when they're in the rafters and she shoots the arrow at him. Uh, like the, just those scenes, I remember in the first book being like, she should be traumatized by like having to kill people. And now I, I feel like I understand why she's not. Because she has just completely cut off that part of herself and then living with Maddox and like growing up around all that violence I think Mm -hmm. has like really done a number on her so I just found that scene so interesting the way she reacted to that yeah no I do think that's really interesting and I hadn't really thought about that either because it's because to your point it's not as if she gets because I think I really similarly struggled with her lack of emotion around um, killing these people. Mm -hmm. And I was like, she just doesn't have any empathy or, you know, and I think in a way I mentally like really framed her in like an evil light. But I do think in this scene with Balkan, and even when you reflect back on the previous scenes, but especially with Balkan, the sense that she doesn't want to kill him per se. Like she wants to respect mm-hmm. the line that Cardin has drawn in the sand, but he like really yeah. gives, he really leaves no option. Like she just has right. to do what she has to do. Um, I think that scene and then her cold response afterwards um, is like informative that she is extremely used to death and violence and like, 
is more than capable of coping with it and moving past it without being phased, but she's not so cold to it that she doesn't consider it like weightless. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like she's not like a serial killer. Like she's she's right. not that far removed, but she's removed enough that she can do that without it like you know, she's she's not held back by it. Mm-hmm. But she's not indifferent to it, if that makes sense. Right, because she realizes, she's like, I should, like, feel nauseated. I want to be the person that, like, feels bad that I've done mm-hmm. this, but I just, like, I just wipe my knife off and walk away. So it's like she's really self-aware in that moment. And mm-hmm. I enjoyed seeing that level of self-awareness from her. I felt like it made her character make a lot more sense. And, like, it kind of resolves some of the complaints I had about the first book, which is that like, mm-hmm. it gets really dark really fast. And why is dude just fine? Like now I kind of understand like the world of fairy is just really violent and really dark despite it's like bright, vivid exterior. Mm-hmm. And so she is just like, so desensitized to it because she's, she has to survive. So I just, yeah, I liked that. I liked how we got to see more of her as a character in this book. Yeah, I think her development over the course of this character of this book, like what we get from her character is Jude's ability to survive is her main character trait. Like she's mm-hmm. going to do everything stems from that need to survive all aspects of her um except for those little tiny scenes that we see with Cardin and Maddox um and even like Oak, she really cares, you know, she really. That's true. She does care for Oak a lot, which mm-hmm. is sweet. I know, it is sweet. Is um, sweet. And so I, I do think that's kind of, it's, it's an interesting arc for this book, like character mm-hmm. arc. Um, one other thing that I want to bring up from that, not necessarily that scene, but from that point is when she goes back to Cardin and he's like, whatever, on his, on that poison. So he's kind of like, woo. Yeah. And she finds out that she, like, Cardin has agreed to grant Maddox a boon and that he's going to be, that he's been, like, released from his obligations to the crown and he can, is now essentially free to move against them. Mm-hmm. and she's like the fuck? I didn't ask you to do that and he's like oh, yeah you did and she's like no I didn't and she realizes that it's Taryn and well he realizes it first um, mm-hmm. where he was like he it says after a moment he closes his eyes and shakes his head Taryn I don't understand I say because I don't want to understand um And then a little while later, she goes, but how did she make you agree, I demand? She has no power. She could pretend to be me, but she couldn't force you. He says, he put his hands, he put his head in his long-fingered hands. She didn't have to command me, Jude. She didn't have to use any magic. I trust I trust you. I trusted you. And then it says, and I trusted Taryn. While I was murdering Balekin, while Cardin was poisoned and disoriented, Maddox made his move against the crown, against me, and he did it with his daughter, Taryn, by his side. And I, first of all, there's just, like, a lot, like, packed into that tiny scene. Mm -hmm. One, I mean, this whole 
this whole thing um, with Cardin being like, she didn't force me to do anything. I just like trusted that you, that it was you and that you knew best. And so I did kind of what you wanted. Mm-hmm. And then Jude has this, she says, and I trusted Taryn, which I think is really interesting because yeah. to kind of our previous discussion, we don't see a ton of them as siblings. She doesn't no. really think that Taryn is capable of taking care of herself. They aren't close. There's like so many things in there that point to, or not, not point to, but there aren't, let me rephrase. There aren't very many things that point towards a trusting relationship. Like Taryn to me, the reader does not seem like a dependable person for Jude. And I think for Jude to admit in this moment that she trusted her, um, just like said a lot to me about the state of that relationship that I didn't realize up until that mm-hmm. point. Um, yeah. And what I think is so interesting is she like finishes and she's like, Maddox made his move against the crown against me. And he did it with his daughter, Taryn by his side. And so she really does an interesting mental thing where she now is saying, like Taryn is Maddox's daughter. Taryn oh, is yeah. his. So not only is it like Taryn picked sides and she didn't side with Jude, she sided with Maddox, but also Maddox picked sides and he didn't side with Jude, he sided with Taryn. Sided being kind yeah. of like a strong word, but I think that Jude, part of the shock here is that I think Jude, like us, recognized that her relationship with Maddox was different from the relationship that um, her other siblings had with Maddox. And then in this moment, she's like, oh, shit, maybe that's not the case anymore. Like, I, I think she's just really blindsided by the fact that Taryn would betray her with Maddox. Like, I think if Taryn betrayed her with Locke, mm-hmm. we wouldn't get the same reaction. Yes, and same thing if Maddox had just betrayed her outright, no one else involved. I don't think we would have the same level of disorientation. But because it's Taryn and Maddox working together, I think it really rocks her world. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that. But I think that is true that if it had been Maddox on his own, like we could have seen that coming because they had mm-hmm. that whole face off where he's like, we're equals and I'm going to treat you like an equal now by like fighting against you, basically. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't surprised when we found out that Maddox did that. But the fact that Taryn like actively went along with that and went against Jude when Jude has done nothing to wrong her this entire time mm-hmm. was just so like frustrating and and really rough for Jude mm-hmm. because Jude like Jude wants to love her sister I think like there's a, a point in the book where yeah. Jude acknowledges that like Taryn never comes to me unless she needs something but like it's really nice that she's doing like she's bringing these clothes to me and she's to, like she wants to to feel good about their relationship and mm-hmm. Taryn just does not like allow that to happen. It also really threw me off because I picture Jude and Taryn. I know they're twins and I know they're identical, but I picture Taryn like in physical appearance looking so much softer than Jude. Mm-hmm. Kind of like um, 
Nesta and Elaine, like I picture Elaine really soft and Nesta really like hard angles and and yes. angry facial expressions. I picture Jude as like really hard and and Taryn is really soft. So then when I think like of a scene where Taryn can deceive Carden, who's like so obsessed with Jude, that like shook me. I'm like, damn, she must either be a good actor or well, like they really look alike. <laughs> okay. Well, so and to to that point, because I had kind of a similar thought. And I will say I did like some reading on um, like Tumblr or something because um, I'm back on Tumblr because Twitter oh. was in like a hot mess. Yeah. And let me just find it. But people were talking about like this whole thing of like how could Cardinal recognize her, yada, yada, and somebody pointed out that when Taryn comes to him, she's wearing the earrings that oh. uh, the guy made, which like make you like dazzling and like the most, the beautiful, most beautiful person, person in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so people were like, it, it altered, like there was like magic at play. Oh, because Carter thinks she's beautiful. Oh, shit. And he was like, that is her. Isn't that so oh, sweet? Oh, that's so sweet. And I hate that he got deceived like that. Also, sweet boy. I want those, like, the moon and the star earrings. I want that. That sounds cute. I know. They sound cool. <laughs> um, but, yeah, but I don't know where I read it, but I just want to be clear that was not my personal discovery. Someone on the internet <laughs> figured that one out. But I read that, and I was like, oh, it makes oh. it, like, it makes it like romantic yeah wait that's yeah that's really soft and cute and also sad because like obviously Taryn really really screwed them over there also Uh, speaking of betrayals this like derails the conversation but I did not see the ghost coming as a a betrayer I like the ghost he's cute and cool and like I want to know what his motivations were like what happened I know I really was um I will say, I once again, I appreciated the the Holly ba- Holly Black twist because I did not yes. see that coming. Uh, yes. Both just like ghost betrayal, but Jude being the target all along didn't didn't anticipate that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I really, I really didn't think it would be ghost. But I think it's interesting. Like, I I, I guess when I zoomed out, I was like, okay, it makes sense. Like, in my mind, I can see Holly Black's sort of train of thought as to why she ended up with Ghost, because you don't want it to be somebody too close. Obviously, mm-hmm. she had plans for Maddox and Taryn to betray later. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's just, like, not that many characters that Jude is open trust. enough to, like, semi-trust yeah. them. And I think that like narrows it down to the three spies, you know, is it ghost? Is it the bomb? Is it what's his the roach? Name? Roach. I was going to call him toad. Um, <laughs> the roach. And with the roach and the bomb, you have much more dialogue. They have much more personality. I mean, ghost's whole yeah. thing is like, he's like a ghost, you know, like he's yeah, yeah, yeah. just chilling in the shadows. So I think by process of elimination, it had to be him. In order for there to be any sense of betrayal whatsoever, the pool 
that Jude would feel genuinely betrayed by is so small because she just yeah. trusts so few that I think I think by processes of elimination he was kind of her only option it's true it's true because it, it, I thought that was really well done that like Nikita being like someone you trust has already betrayed you and it's mm-hmm. like shit well Jude trusts like 0.3 people I so know. like who <laughs> well and what's crazy is it's like like she trusts 0.3 people and it of those people they literally every single one of them betrays her in this book <laughs> because i mean like it's ghost Carden, it's dose ghost Maddox, it's Taryn, Carden, it's ghost. Maddox, Taryn, and i think even like not that not to the same extent but like vivi kind of does in the sense that oh, she yeah. with that whole thing with heather um which it's just like a whole separate conversation but then she like wipes heather's memory and remembers yeah. her and i think that really shakes jude and taryn that their sister would do something like that to another mortal um and so I just think that it's interesting. It's like nonstop betrayal for Jude in this book. I know. Poor thing. I do, like, that reminded me that I do want to briefly talk about Vivi if we can. Just mm-hmm. because we didn't really talk about her when we talked about the Cruel Prince. And, like, mm-hmm. we don't obviously see that much of her. But I felt like um, in this book, we got to see a little bit of, like, contrast between how the Fae navigate the world versus how the humans have to navigate the world yes. and Vivi is not human or not fully human and like I forget about that because she like acts human like she wants to go back to the human world she has a human girlfriend but but there's this point where uh Jude is having a, a conversation with Maddox in a in another scene where she says I think I wrote down the quote she says something like um she goes off on Maddox and basically tells him, like, you let me be humiliated in fairy. I went through this, this, and this, like, at your hand, and you just oh. never did anything about it. And he kind of is shook and just goes, like, I didn't know. He says, oh, yeah, she says, I've been glamored and carried into a revel, weeping and alone, as far as I can tell the only difference between tonight and all the other nights when I endured indignities without complaint is that those benefited you. And when I endure this, referring to the Queen of Mirth thing, it mm-hmm. benefits me. And then Maddox looks shaken. I didn't know. You didn't want to know, I return. So Maddox, and I think similarly, Vivi, mm-hmm. just did, did not know, like, yeah. all the shit that Jude and Taryn had to endure as humans and, like, just didn't really care to know because it didn't ha- have any meaning to right. them. Right. It's like, and if so you don't that makes... see it, why would you? Yeah, you and know? I know, and I think Jude mentions that they, like, they they purposely kind of hid that kind of stuff from Vivi because they just didn't want her to worry when she was already so concerned about other things. Um, so then it makes Vivi really not like sympathetic and caring towards bringing her human girlfriend into this terrifying world. Uh, and so the fact awful. that she glamored her, I was like, girl, like mm-hmm. I want to be happy for the two of you, but I kind of like, Heather should break up with you after that because that was just mm-hmm. not cool. I don't know. We'll see what ends up happening there. But I am like slightly invested in Vivian Heather and what happened. I know what well, it's actually really interesting that you say that because I will say when they were like Heather was 
pseudo introduced in Cruel Prince. I never expected to see her again. I was like, yeah. this, is, this is just like a, I don't know, just like a random human character thrown in. But the fact that we've actually seen some like genuine relationship progression, uh, I actually really enjoyed. I really think it tied us to the mortal, like what was happening in the, the human realm. Mm-hmm. Um, which I really appreciated, especially now knowing that this book ends with Jude in the human realm. In the human world, yeah. Yeah, I something I enjoy about like the world in this book in general is that it's so, like, it's not entirely separate, like in Akatar or Throne of Glass, where it's just like a whole different mm-hmm. world. This, like, fairyland is, like, <laughs> in, like, pretty close proximity to the human world, so they can just, like, go across the water and go to Target, or, like, they went to a <laughs> diner in this book, and I was like, oh, I love a diner moment. I just think that's kind of fun that we like randomly get uh, some moments back in the human world and like seeing how uncomfortable Jude is there. It's just like kind of. Well, and I think it's interesting that you actually say that because I hadn't thought about this before, but similar to like what you were saying with Maddox and Vivi is like, it's this idea of forgetting almost that Taryn and Jude are humans Mm -hmm. and what it means that, and that like humans and fairy are not the same. And mm-hmm. then you just like see it in really stark contrast when they go back and forth. Cause like you said, in Throne of Glass or A Court of Throne and Roses, you're, or particularly A Court of Throne and Roses, where Feyre starts in a human environment and moves mm-hmm. into a Fey environment. But like once you're in that like Fey world, you really you are really not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you do, but like, it's it's never like a stark contrast between the two. Versus this one, yeah. it's like when we go back to the human world, it's jarring because it's so different. Yeah, and I think that highlights. Okay, Jude may act like a fairy and like play this part, but at the end of the day, she's really different from them. And I think whenever they go back it's like a little reminder to the reader of how different she is from the rest of them. Yeah. Yeah. Especially like in stark contrast to Vivi, who's like thriving in the human world, mm-hmm. who is not human. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like her and Jude are opposites in that way, in a different way than Taryn and Jude are opposites. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just think that's kind of interesting. And I don't know that if we'll get much from Vivi or not in the next book, but I think I just feel like there's gotta be three sisters for a reason. So I feel like, Mm-hmm. I found that interesting. I don't know. I too I found we'll that see. interesting. But... And we'll see. I want to know if we'll see more of Oak, too, and, like, how he, if he prefers the human world, if he, like, I don't know. He's still a kid, so mm-hmm. there's only so much we can see. But... Yep, yep, yep. So we'll, we will um, revisit this series yes. with the Queen of Nothing. Um, I'm so excited to read it. And I, yeah, I think that'll be a really fun read. And I'm excited to look back at the series as a whole and kind of rethink, you know, our thoughts from each book now with the full picture. So, yes, yes. So come back for that episode for the full tea. All right. Well, we will be back to talk about the Queen of Nothing. So Mm -hmm. uh, thanks for listening. Thank you.